Well, I was, uh, I was on like a little middle-of-the-day date with Shelly. We had dropped our kids off at, um, at Crystal Bridges for a little class, and we were going to spend about an hour and a half in the museum. We were walking around, and I, right as I walked up, um, I, I saw this uh, uh, woman that I recognized from Instagram, and I almost walked up to her and just said hi, because I see her all the times. I follow her. She follows artists, and I find a lot of new artists, because she visits galleries and museums all the time, and she was here for the opening of the Momentary, and it was one of those things where you see somebody that you see all the time, but you don't actually know them, and you catch yourself before you walk up to them and say, hi, I follow you, <laughs> which is creepy to walk up to. Uh, maybe it's because I turned 50. I feel like as a 50-year-old man approaching somebody that's younger than me, especially a woman, and saying, hi, I follow you, is creepy. So what we did instead is we followed her and we took her photograph. <laughs> and then we put it on Instagram and tagged her, which is creepy, <laughs> except that she thought it was sneaky, which I think was maybe her nice, hey, I have lots of people following me. I don't want them to think I hate this guy. Actually, no, she didn't. She thought it was funny that we, she said, next time, say hello. I told her all of my favorite places to go in Bentonville to eat. And I said, thank you, because this is clearly what you do as a labor of love. I don't think, she doesn't have enough followers that she's making tons of money off of this. And what she does is she travels all around the world to galleries and shows different art. And I have a family and a job, and I can't travel to all these places. And she travels to these places and posts this art. It just so happened she was here at our museum. And I love that she has this thing that she's so passionate about that it drives all of her free time. Her life is sort of oriented around this thing. And as I was thinking about what we're doing and what we're all about, it was, I was thinking about her and the things she was going around, and I was also thinking about this man, Jiro. Anybody know Jiro? Any Jiro fans in here? Seen the documentary film, Jiro Dreams of Sushi? Jiro runs a sushi place in a subway stop in Tokyo, and it is a Michelin three-star restaurant. There is not a better sushi place on the planet. If you look up images of Jiro on Google, you will see the president, former President Obama, sitting at his little counter enjoying his sushi. It's like the proverb that says, you see a man who's good at what he does, he will not serve before obscure men, he will serve before kings. And Jiro is 80, so almost 90 years. Actually, I think he turns 90 years because he said he wanted to live and run his shop until the Olympics came to Tokyo, and he would be 91 years old. This man has given his entire life to sushi. One thing. He, he invented ways of making his rice, all of his soy. He goes every day to the market and finds this. He's been training his son, who is well into his 50s, almost 60 years old, and in the documentary he says, he's almost ready to take over. <laughs> almost. And what's beautiful about this film is David Gelb, who made this film, made this beautiful film, unlike any other food documentary that had ever been made. And David took this technique and, and made uh, a series called Chef's Table on Netflix, and it revolutionized the way people make this kind of film. And I was just thinking about all of the, the, the passion that goes into this and how Jiro found this thing. There was something inside of him that he could sustain over a lifetime 
of making this one very particular kind of thing. And I was thinking about this filmmaker and his love of making film. And I was thinking even about, he says, uh, uh, I went and saw David Gelbert, Crystal Bridges, when he came and he was talking about Chef's Table. And he said, when I was making this documentary, this new camera, it was called a Red. It had just come out. And this camera was so compact, but it shot such high quality film. And I was thinking about the person that took the time to make this camera that allowed a filmmaker to make a documentary film that allowed the world to experience this little man who goes every day to work in a subway station at a tiny little sushi place and makes something that people travel the world over to come and taste of. And every time I see a story like that or I run across an Instagram like, like Mary's Instagram and I just think, oh, I want to find that. I want to find my sushi. I want to find my sushi. What's this thing, what's this lane in life that I'm going to go to and that I'm going to live in and that I'm going to exist in? What is going to be my sushi and my thing? What's something that it taps me down so deep that it's, oh, I can spend my entire life on that. Anybody else ever feel that way when you watch these? Anybody else ever like, I'm saying this and you're like, oh my gosh, yes, I would love to find that lane. We are talking this morning about, we're in the last uh, of our series on kingdom values, and this last value is kingdom mission. Kingdom mission. What is the mission of the kingdom? What is the mission that you have been invited into? She was walking a path she'd walked so many times before, a hundred yards or so outside her little town, and maybe this is why her mind could wonder, could wonder back to that time as a little girl, the first time she and her mother went to the city, to Jerusalem, and all of the sights and sounds and smells of all the people from all around the world and the temple. So big and grand and majestic. It gave her such hope. It filled her with wonder. It gave her this, uh, this, this longing, a desire to know. What goes on in there, mother? She asked, tugging at her mom. Nothing that concerns us was the only reply. But still that longing, almost an ache inside of her. And then she saw them. A procession of men in robes, most beautiful fabric she had ever seen in her short little life. Their faces so serious but serene, and the tassels of their garments draped nearly to the ground, and they had these mysterious little boxes tied to their heads, their heads held high, and they were headed into the grounds of this temple, straight into the temple itself like they belonged there, like they and no one else belonged there, like they owned it. Who are they, Mom? Why do they get to go in there? Can I go see them? Can I go be with them? Could I ever be them? 
question after question after question burned in her heart. This longing to go into that place, to be a part of that world. She pestered and pestered her mother, who seemed a thousand miles away, until mother jerked her daughter away from the crowds, away from the markets, away from the sights and the sounds and the smells, away from the procession, away from the temple. Her mother bent down in front of her, and with tears in her eyes and bitterness in her voice says, we cannot go in there. They don't want us in there. We are dogs. We are women. We are Samaritans. They are God's chosen. They are men. And men, like your so-called father and the mom, turn and spat on the ground, barely good for one thing, and you aren't yet old enough to know about it. And now she was back, back in her head, back walking down this short path, not as a little girl, but as a grown woman, outside of the little town where everyone knew her, knew everything about her, loved telling one another everything about her, in veiled whispers, As she walked past, recounting tales of seduction, seductions, she laughed out loud at her train of thought, not caring because at this time of day, no one would be around to hear her, which was how she liked it. If you call a string of men using me for the only thing they're almost good for and then leaving a seduction, huh. And now with tears welling in her own eyes, she saw him sitting there at the well. There wasn't supposed to be anyone here. Certainly not, oh great, great, a Jew. Should she just turn around, walk past? No, I will not turn around, not even if he does think I'm a dog, not even if he insults me to my face. I was going to walk right up, and I will do what I came to do, and no man, no Jew was going to. Could you give me a drink? Jesus was alone at that time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Uh, But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob? Who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and the animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, said the woman, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come out here and get water. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, said the woman, you must be a prophet. So tell me. Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, 
The time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who called Christ. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And this woman who was an outcast in society, who everyone had been talking about in town, got to go into town and say, hey, I want you all to come see a man who's actually a stranger, and I don't think he's met any of you gossips who all know everything I've ever done, but he told me everything he's ever done, and he is the Messiah. And I have found in him something inside of me that I thought was dead. That I thought was dead. And this well that has literally the bodies of men, the bodies of pain, the bodies of anguish, the bodies of who knows what. The Bible doesn't tell us. Clearly I was imagining that story. But I was trying to think, what is it that makes a woman in an era when she can't choose to leave a man have five men who have just treated her like garbage to be discarded? What is it like to be that woman in that culture at that time and finally have a man who has access to this thing, to this place, to this God that she only hears about, hears whispers about, clearly knows that there is a Messiah coming, clearly knows these stories, clearly understands the half of her that is Jewish, right? The Samaritans are half-breeds. Half-bloods, mud-bloods, if you're uh, Harry Potter fans, right? Of mixed race. Race of Jews who married Gentiles and, and polluted their sort of downline. She's in that race. She's saying, we go up to this mount, to Gerizim, to this place where we believe that actually Abraham almost sacrificed his son. That's where we go up and worship. In fact, Samaritans to this day worship on Gerizim. It's actually a UN-protected heritage site, this Gerizim place that was so sacred to them, this place of, of sacrifice, not a place of living water. And Jesus is coming and sitting beside a well. I think it's so interesting that he meets her at the well because what Jesus does is he dives right into the well with her. He dives right into the bottom of her heart. The pain in her heart, the ache in her heart, the longing in her heart. This picture of her sitting at a well. A deep well that it took a long rope and a bucket to dig anything refreshing out of. Jesus goes down into the well of her heart, the polluted well of her heart, the aching, pained well of her heart, and he digs out things of her past so that the water that comes out after he tells her who he is will be fresh and clean and pure, and there will be plenty of it for everyone in 
the town. And I love to imagine this little girl having this long, growing up, having this longing in her heart to be like these men who got to proclaim this news. But she was in a place, she was a race, and she was a person who couldn't do that. And Jesus comes in, and because of who he is and because of what he does, she actually is the mouthpiece to declare Jesus and transform a town. And scholars say when Jesus comes back to the other, he goes over to the other side uh, and, and is in Galilee for a while. He comes back to this side and feeds 5,000 5, uh, Gentiles who, or, yes, who come out and see him. That many scholars believe it was because of her message and the revival that started because of this one woman. That there were thousands of people waiting for that Jesus to come and see her. And it's all because Jesus was willing to dive down into the well of her heart. Now, why would Jesus do this? That was the question. I was like, Lord, what, what is it about this story? Why this woman? Why this particular thing? Holy Spirit, why did you cause this story to be kept? Why does it hit us? What is it that's so gripping about this story? And I realize that it has everything to do with what we're talking about this week because you are God's mission. Not just you, your heart is God's mission. Not just the mission back then, his mission today is you and your heart. What is going on inside of your heart and what Jesus is here to do, what Jesus came to do is to connect that well inside of you. That place that's deep down inside of you, he came to connect that to a divine source via the Holy Spirit. So that what comes up out of you is like living water that's bubbling up and over and over and over and over again and gives you eternal life. It could be not just enough for you, but could be enough for those who are around you. So I have a question for everybody this morning. How's your well? How is your well? When you think about the well that is your heart, when you think about this, when you hear this story, when you think about it in light of when you see people who, who find a, a, a passion, a thing that's sort of singular or clarifying in their life, when you see this woman who, who encounters Jesus in such a way that she's so excited that she runs into a town, you know, there's no way everybody in that town, a woman who has had five husbands in a tiny little community, everyone knows who she is, who comes in with this message, who has met the Messiah out by the well that she sneaks out to at noon every day. Everybody else comes in the morning, she goes at noon, and everyone knows why. This woman coming, right? When you hear about that and you think about the well of your own heart, what do you think about? Is it overflowing? Perhaps some would say, you know what? Actually, my heart is overflowing. I happen to be in an overflowing stage personally right now. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. But you could be overflowing. If you are overflowing right now, the thing I would encourage you to do is share. See, the, the mission, kingdom mission, should be born out of the overflow of your heart. We are not here to lay more on weary, broken, exhausted, 
burned out people. That is not kingdom mission. Kingdom mission is born out of the overflow of a heart. Now it could be that the Lord wants you, part of sort of a, a restoration could be that you do need to do a little bit of serving. This isn't to let you off. But if your heart isn't full to overflowing, what are you going to have to share? But if you do find your heart full to overflowing, then one of the things that we see often is that the, the people, the place, or the position we are in in life, God has strategically sent us there. And the thing that we see in the Bible over and over again is, is Jesus going and reframing what it is a person is about. He takes that thing that he made them to do. He connects it with the Holy Spirit. He allows that flow to come up, and then he reorients. It's like he gives them a new eyes and a new brain to see the thing they're already doing in an entirely new light. What people are you around? God's clearly called you to this place, Bentonville? What position are you in in life? What job do you have? Where are you serving? What committees are you on? Other things. Stop and think, how could this overflow of my heart benefit the place? What is the kingdom purposes for the place that I am at right now? It's what Jesus says to Peter when he says, hey, I know you're a fisherman. You're not going to fish for fish anymore. You're going to fish for men. And after he calls him the rock and he says, I'm going to build my church on you, when he reinstates Peter, after he denied him three times, he keeps saying, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. He's showing them, hey, I know you just cursed at a, at a four-year-old little girl, denying me. What I'm going to tell you to do is not to speak curses to people, but to feed them. You are going to be one who feeds, not one who curses He's taking the thing, the impulsiveness that Peter already had to speak up in these moments and say, Peter, you're not just to speak up. You're not just to show off. You're not just to complain. You're actually here. Your words matter. I want you to feed people with them. If you find your heart overflowing, share the water. I promise you, you are around parched and thirsty people all the time. So what if you look down in that well and it's polluted? What if you look in it and you're just like, there is frustration and pain and junk and torched relationships and trauma and things I don't want to deal with in life. Or maybe it's some of your own doing. Maybe it's your own bad choices, your own regrets in life, mistakes made, etc. Maybe you've just wandered off from God. You're showing up here. You're showing up at a community group, but your heart just isn't in it. And when you look in that well, it looks polluted. Josh reminded me of this verse this week. It's in Jeremiah 2. And it's the Lord speaking through Jeremiah, judgment on Israel. And the Lord is saying, hey, you've done two evil things. The first is you've abandoned me. I am the fountain of living water. And what you've done is you have dug for yourself a cracked cistern that can't hold any water at all. He goes on later to say, actually hold on that first verse for just a second. 
Now, wells and cisterns are sort of old things. They're not the same. They're very different. In fact, I think God is, is pronouncing a little bit of judgment that they didn't build a well, that they dug a cistern. A well is, is a deep hole into the ground, and what you're trying to do is get below the water table. If you're really good, you'll get all the way down really deep to where the water's flowing, where there's a spring. If you dig that well in the wrong place, you won't find water. You won't find flowing water. You could find just some stagnant water that'll come up, but the thing you want to do is dig that well in the right place, and you want to dig it deep enough that it hits flowing water. A cistern is a basin that catches rain. It is not tapped into a water source. It is literally just catching whatever flows through life. And what he's saying to them is, not only have you not dug down to the, to the source, but you're just collecting anything that comes along. Anything, any water, anything that looks like water to you. Anything in the culture that just sort of washes in. Anything that tickles your fancy. Anything that looks like it would be fun to do. Whatever it is, you're trying to collect this up and call it water. And you wonder why you're frustrated and you wonder why your life is dry, and you wonder why you have nothing to give, it is because you have a cracked cistern and not a well that has been dug deep down into it. And Jesus, or the, Jeremiah, goes on and tells later in chapter 3, the Lord speaking to Israel, saying, Come home to me again, for I am merciful. I won't be angry with you for forever. What you need to do is acknowledge your guilt. Admit that you rebelled against the Lord and committed adultery against him by worshiping idols under every green tree. You dug your wells in the wrong place. You attached your affections to other things. And then you wonder why the well's dry. You wonder why the cistern's cracked. You've attached it, your affections, somewhere else. You need to confess that you refuse to listen to my voice, and you need to return home, you wayward children. If you find your heart is polluted, the thing you need to do is to clean. And the way that we do that is through admission, confession, and return. Right, this should be a part of our practice. It is inevitable that things are going to fall into the well. It is inevitable that cracks are going to happen in the wall of the well. And it is through admitting to the Lord, admitting, you know what, Lord, it's polluted in there. Finding relationship with others and saying, you know what, I, my well's polluted. Here's what's going on in my heart and working together to drag that out and to make sure it's cleaned. Right? This is the remedy for if you look down into your heart and find the pollution. What if it's dry? What if you're like, Sean, it's not polluted. It's just dry. In fact, I know it's dug into the right place. I believe this. I believe what you're saying. But, Sean, there is not water flowing out of it. I don't, this living water thing sounds like a metaphor. Maybe it's for other people. Maybe it's for that the beginning of your relationship with Jesus. But this is not what I'm experiencing right now. And I.
place that many people are at in this dry place. Life is busy. The logistics of life can exhaust us. And if we come home at the end of the day and the last thing that we have is energy to listen to our spouse's needs, it's because we're dry. If the last thing we want to do is love and serve our kids, it is because we are dry. And the last thing you need to do is layer some other responsibility on top of that. What you need to do is start stripping responsibilities off so that you have time to dig. Because wells that hit fresh, beautiful, clear, bubbling, refreshing, life-giving water have to be dug deep. And if you start reading your Bible again in the words of Jesus, you will find he is not telling you that it's just right here on the surface. He wants you to dig. He wants you to ask and seek and knock and pray and return again. Right? He wants hunger. He responds to a hungry, committed, consistent cry of the heart. I promise you, if you dig, you will find water. I promise you, if you dig, you will find water. Some of this you have to do alone. It's just you and God, you and the Holy Spirit alone in your closet, wrestling, getting mad. Some of you need to get mad. You've never, ever in your prayer life gotten mad with God. Some of you are ticked off that you're dry. You're tired of hearing about it from a stage. You're tired of not experiencing it. Some of you need to get sad and broken. You need to face fear and pain and other things and drag it out of the closet, out of the hiding, and sit with it with the Holy Spirit. Maybe sit with it with another person. Maybe sit with it with a professional. But you've got to dig down. You are useless in the kingdom dipping into a dry well. There's nothing. If somebody's there for water and you keep bringing up empty buckets or sand or muck, it is not useful. That's why I started with, you know what the mission of the kingdom first and foremost is? Is your heart. It was the out of the overflow of this woman's heart that an entire community was changed. Five minutes before Jesus tapped and cleaned out that well, she was useless to that community for anything other than entertaining gossip. After Jesus tapped into that well, deep down in her heart, it transformed an entire community and probably a region. The transformation of one woman's heart, it is such a beautiful and glorious thing. So I, uh, I, I sold my company about a year and a half ago, and I was supposed to have an earnout period that went all the way through the end of this year. Some things happened, and it got shortened by about eight months. And I found this out. Uh, I found this out the day that I installed a piece of art that I had sold. I was so excited about selling this piece of art. I'd started doing art again just as therapy for me because I didn't have a lot to do because I'd sold my company, and they really didn't want me showing up there every day because I'm a little disruptive. And so they were like, hey, that art stuff you're doing looks like fun. Why don't you stay home and do that art? And so 
I'd be out in my garage, and I was making art, and it was just really feeding something. It like lit a pilot light inside of me that I didn't know had gone out. And the more I did it, the more it sort of cranked up something. And I realized that it wasn't just something. It was, it was, it was something that was in me that God had put inside of me. That because the community that I grew up in and people that I was around and sort of things and circumstances, I realized didn't value it. And so I just sort of quietly turned it all the way down and covered it up. And when I started uncovering it a little bit, I found that there was something going on inside of this. And I was doing this and it was, oh, it was so good. And I was like, man, I have a whole year left in this thing that I'm just going to I'm going to make this art and maybe I could just be like get this thing up and going and this could be a little bit of something that I do on the side. I didn't think it would be all of it but I thought it'd be a little bit of something. So I sold this one piece and that night I found out Sean you don't have all year, you have 90 days. You have 90 more days. I was just like, "Oh my goodness." And then I realized, "Oh, months ago I had scheduled to go and do a life plan Next week with a guy, like three days before my birthday, right at the end of this whole, like right in the beginning of this last year, and I thought I'll work on this plan, and I'll have a whole year to work on it. And I go and I sit in a basement with this guy, and, and he wants to sort of hear about my story and pull all of these, these things out, all these turning points, and he, want to, he wants to find fingerprints of God on how did God make you? What's going on with you? Who are you? And all I can tell you is that for a day and a half of the two days, he and I sat there. Shelly went with me. It was such a blessing to have her there. And it was like drilling down through rock, through rock, through rock, through rock, through rock. And there was a moment about a day and a half in where it felt like we hit a cavern inside of me that hadn't been tapped in forever. And the picture that was in my mind when we tapped that was that there was just like a roaring waterfall running in it. And I started out the session with him and I said, I want to find my sushi. I got to find my, I told him the whole story. I was like, I watch these movies and I watch these people that find this thing. And I said, I got to find that. And he said, Sean, that's what this, trust the process. He just kept saying it. Like, this isn't sushi yet. (laughs) He's like, just trust the process. And when we hit that, I realized, oh my goodness, this, this place, this place where the Holy Spirit comes and connects us up, our spirit deep down inside where he connects with us and it becomes life. That's what I need. I didn't need sushi. I needed the source. I needed to be tapped back into that source And understand how he saw me and how he thought of me and how he made me and what I was supposed to do. And I was supposed to say no to everything in my life that was not in alignment with this. And it suddenly made sense of all the things that were so frustrating in life. Of taking my talents and using them to try and dig wells that I thought were going to be satisfying. Of of taking my talents and spending them on all of these other husbands. All these other wives, all these other things that I thought were going to be the thing and tapping into that source brought such unbelievable clarity. And then I came back and I started looking and saying, oh, this is what I'm speaking 
on. And I get to stand up in front of everybody and not drop a bucket way, way, way down deep. But I get to say, you know what, gang? If you'll dig, if you'll seek, and you'll ask, and you'll knock, there is a stream way down deep there. We were talking about praying for Iran, and Josh came up and he said, you know what? It's growing fast. And I thought, because there's water underneath the surface. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who you are. There is something down deep in there for you. As the worship team comes back, that was our elegant transition. Why don't you guys stand? We're moving into a time that where we make space every week for you to dig. This is dig time. All right? Get your pick out. Get your shovel out. You know what it looks like? It looks like if you're full, quit just bubbling over out into the street and wasting that. Look around and say, Lord, you called me to this place and to this people at this time. Who's thirsty? And go give some water out. If that well is polluted, go grab somebody and say and confess. Ask for prayer. And if you're dry, we're going into a season, a time of worship. We worship in spirit and in truth. That spirit and in truth, it literally means the breath or the wind of God. And in truth, think about it, it means in reality. Not false, not a form. Even what was going on in Jerusalem was a form. It was stuff standing in place of the thing. And what Jesus was saying is, is the wind of the Spirit is going to come live inside of you. And you, in reality, are not going to stand before an ark. You're going to stand before the God. You're going to stand before the source of all life. And that gift to you is going to be an eternal life and something that wells up inside of you and spills over to such a degree that people will be coming with buckets to get it. And that's what we get to do right now. Is we get to go before that person who is alive, who is present here, and who wants you to plug the deepest part of you into that source and spring. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good to us. You see us and in two sentences can dive down into the bottom of the well and you don't care how many cracks there are in the sides of the walls. You don't care what kind of muck is down there. You're going to go down there and you're just going to start digging and tap us in to the source of life. And Lord, for those in here who come in and hear this message and they almost don't even have enough energy or enough faith or enough hope left to believe that this could actually be for them, meet them especially, I pray, Lord. You are willing, God. You are willing. You are never the reason why, Lord. I pray we would all, pray we would all live 
in a place that's connected to the source so that kingdom mission, kingdom purpose, that kingdom ministry just flows out of us.